So you might notice that we were skipping part of the book of Ephesians, and the, the reason was when we originally started this series, um, I wasn't aware of the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And that actually fell on what was going to be a sermon on family life, on husbands and wives and children. So um, we're not planning on skipping that permanently. We're actually going to have a series on family life coming in 2020. So um, while we won't deal with that in this specific series, I, I wanted to give two weeks for us to talk about the armor of God. Um, so 2020, we will be talking about that. Please don't think I'm just trying to skip over it. Um, but we're, we're going to take two weeks to look at the, the different pieces of the armor of God and, and what Paul writes and tells the church in Ephesus to do. He closes his letter with almost a battle call. Be ready. Be ready. It's, it's different than earthly battles, yet there are many similarities. Veterans Day is tomorrow. When soldiers go to war, they don't just go in shorts and a t-shirt. If they're walking out to the battlefield, it's not just in a pair of jeans and running shoes. They go with armor. And you and I are engaged in a spiritual battle every single day. And Paul says, listen, you have armor too, and you need it. Why? Because there's a very real devil who's trying to destroy you. Some of you, when you go home today, uh, you're going to take a nap. Are there, is there anybody that takes a nap on Sunday afternoon? Seems like the Christian thing to do, doesn't it? Sunday afternoon, you take a nap. Um, see, if you don't come to church, you sleep in, right? So you don't need the nap. But if you get up and come to church, then you need that nap Sunday afternoon. Some of you are going to go home and watch football. See, in our house, what happens, we go home, and I put the football game on, and Sarah goes to sleep. And, especially, and I don't blame her. If I watched... If I wasn't a diehard Redskins fan, I had to watch the Redskins every week, I think I'd fall asleep too. <laughs> um, yeah, you're a saint. Let's just put it that way. That's a tough one to watch. Um, but, you know, oftentimes before football games, you'll hear the football players talking, and especially the linemen, and they say, we're going into battle. We're going into battle with my brothers in the trenches, right? Where, where you see the, the 350-pound linemen that are standing there against each other and, and they poke each other in the eyes and stuff like that. And they talk about this as, as a battle. And they go out with their, with their armor on, with their helmets and their shoulder pads. But see, they don't know who's going to win. When militaries go to war, they, they don't know for sure who's going to win. You and I know who wins. Jesus wins. Looks like something isn't working 100% correct here. Colossians 2.15 says this, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Kendall, is that the armor of God one PowerPoint opened up? That's good. I'll keep going here. Would you open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning? Ephesians chapter 6. 
If you didn't bring your Bible with you, pull that pew Bible out. We're only going to look at five verses, 10 to 15, and next week we're going to finish with 15 to 20. And there's so much to be said. We could take an individual sermon on each of these pieces, but we're going to move about three at a time. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, it's, Paul writes, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. There we go. Thank you. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would communicate your truth clearly. Father, help us to understand what the armor of God is and help us to put it on every single day, the whole armor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 10 says this, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That word finally lets us know something's coming to a conclusion. Right? Paul's ending this letter to the church in Ephesus. But he's not ending it necessarily by saying, All right, see you later. He's saying, listen, you are in a war. You are in a battle. It's a spiritual battle for the souls of people. It's a battle for your mind. And he reminds them where their strength comes from in this battle. See, oftentimes, I, I know I'm guilty of this, is I, I try and do things on my own. But our strength in this battle doesn't come from any weights that you can lift to make your arms stronger. Uh, it doesn't come from making sure that you're running five miles a day. It, the, the, your strength in this battle comes from the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's, it's actually similar to what we see in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. See, our strength comes from God in this fight, and it's important for us to understand that in the beginning. That this war that we fight, it's not you against Satan. It's God working through you. That's why you can overcome. Because of God's power. Be strong in the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This, this idea of, of full armor, the whole armor of God, it's not one piece. It's not make sure you have your helmet on <laughs> or make sure you have your sword, right? You need every single piece. Because without every piece, you're vulnerable. 
There's an area of weakness. We know that Satan is powerful. We're not, we're not denying that this morning. Um, however, compared to God, <laughs> Satan has no power at all. But see, he knows exactly how to attack us in our lives. First John 4.4 4 says this, Little children, you who are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. This, this idea that the devil has schemes. I, I think sometimes in our lives we, we think of individually being attacked by the devil, but we actually have watched Satan's schemes play out in our nation, haven't we? Right? If you think back so many years ago and, and, and watch the, the rise in, in what many people would call social justice, but really what it is is it's, it's promoting sin. And there are parades that go down the street celebrating sin under the name of, of social justice, this scheme that Satan has been working on for a long time, pushing it through the media, pushing it through other areas. And as Christians, we've watched. And if you don't think it's a scheme that's been happening, then your eyes aren't open. But see, this battle that we fight, it's not against other people, right? It's not against your brother and sister in the church who, who think this way or they think this way. This is a battle that we fight that is a spiritual battle. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, and Paul says again, take up the whole armor of God. Two times he says this, the whole armor. Because you know what? It's great if you go to war and you have a shield. But what if you don't have your helmet? And you better believe this, that Satan knows your area of weakness in your life, and he's going to target that. He's going to come at that again and again and again. You know, oftentimes this, this battle that we fight, this spiritual battle, is, is one that is unseen and, and it goes unnoticed. However, it isn't one that's against tyrants or, or philosophies. And God has equipped us as believers with everything we need to stand against the devil. And it's important for us to remember that we need the whole armor. Because see, Satan knows our weaknesses. He knows what will hold you back and he knows exactly what temptations you will be most tempted to fall for. And you better believe it that he's going to try and confuse, discourage, and destroy you. He knows the weakest point and that's where he's going to aim. So what do we do? We put on the whole armor of God. And unlike this gentleman in the video, <laughs> um, we're not waging war according to the flesh, for our weapons are 
warfare not of the flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. It's not an actual, literal metal helmet that you're putting on. You're not carrying around a shield. Can you imagine how loud church would be if everybody had to sit down and you heard their armor clanking together? Every time you went to put your arm around your spouse, or crank, 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 right? be worse than cell phones. We'd have to put a PowerPoint announcement up that says, please keep your armor quiet, right, on Sunday morning. And then Paul goes to begin, he begins to describe what this armor is. The first piece of the armor is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. You know, the Bible puts a huge emphasis on being a truth teller and knowing the truth. Who's the truth? Jesus is the truth, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So as believers, we are supposed to be people who tell the truth, but we also know the truth, the one truth, the absolute truth. The world that we live in today doesn't put huge value on truth. As a matter of fact, it puts more value on popularity, fame, headlines, gossips, clicks, whatever, whatever can be done to gather people's attention, that's what we're going to say. There's a, uh, a TV show, it's either Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon, one of those two guys who uh, will actually go around, and maybe you've seen this before, but they'll go around and make up these headlines and interview people on TV. It's a total lie what they're saying, and they ask people if they've heard it before to see if they'll tell the truth or if they'll lie. And it's amazing to watch people. And I mean, they're, they're right on TV. They have the microphone, and they just blatantly lie about something that never happened. I watched that. Absolutely. I totally saw that. I think it's horrible. Well, that's great. Never happened, right? But as believers, we are supposed to be people of truth and of the truth. Not only are we honest, but we carry the message of the truth wherever we go. George Washington Carver, he became one of the most honored and respected scientists of his generation by focusing on the very simple, who knows, the peanut, right? The peanut. Can you imagine of all things? Right? The peanut. Eventually he would discover some uh, some 300 uses for this most basic and seemingly insignificant common food. Many people overlook it. Uh, unless you're at Texas Roadhouse, right? Then you don't overlook the peanuts. When we had uh, my, my brother-in-law came up to visit us. Some of you met him, Bruno, from Bolivia. He said, uh, he might listen, so I'm not going to do an accent. But he said, Tony, he said, the one thing I want is tap water and peanuts. And so we went to Texas Roadhouse. And he got water and peanuts, right? But, but it seems to be such a small thing, something that, that really wouldn't matter, right? This idea of, of peanuts. But, but to Carver, God gave him some amazing things. And Carver attributed all of his scientific discoveries to God. He once said that he had asked God to give, explain the universe to him. But he felt God saying that that was too large of a task for George Washington Carver. And so George asked God to give him something he could handle. And Carver said that he directed his attention to the peanut. His focus and search for value produced amazing results. Carver never doubted that God was rewarding his faith and effort. And he said, without God to draw aside the curtain, I would be helpless. 
And in a day, and this is, this is a, an illustration here that I'm sharing with you. It's, these are not my words. In a day when many people deny that truth even exists as an absolute reality, those of us who know God need to be more focused than ever on seeking for it because truth is not an abstract concept that varies with time. It doesn't vary with place. And truth can be known. It's a part of God, the nature of God. You and I are to wear the belt of truth every single day, carry the message of truth to those who haven't heard it and be people of truth. There's the first one. If anyone's not wearing a belt this morning, you're probably uh, pulling your shirt there. No, I'm just kidding. But the second is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. I think there's, there's two things that we pull out of this idea of, of, of righteousness. And one is knowing who you are positionally in your relationship with Jesus Christ. We've talked about this. Paul wrote about this. That once you're saved, you cannot be more redeemed, loved, or forgiven than you are at that very moment. God doesn't love you more the longer you're saved. You don't get redeemed more the longer you're saved. And you're not forgiven more the longer you're saved. Right? At the moment of salvation, you cannot be more redeemed, loved, or forgiven. That's your position. That's who we are. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. That's who you are. That is what you wear. When you go out to battle, you know who you are because Satan's going to want to tell you that you're something else. He's going to want you to, to look at yourself as, as, as a liar or by your past mistakes. When God looks at you in Christ and says, I love you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be no sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. The first part is knowing your position. The second part speaks of the way that we live our lives as believers and, and, and that idea of, of living righteously. William MacDonald writes this, when a man is clothed in practical righteousness, he's impregnable, words are no defense against accusation, but a good life is. Your testimony, the way that you live your life. Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God. This idea of, of living above reproach, living a life in pursuit of, of God's holiness, always working to be more like Christ and more like God. And that's how we need to be as believers. But let me be honest with you this morning. Um, that's not just on Sunday morning. Amen? That's what you post on Facebook <laughs> or share on other forms of social media. That's how you act on Saturday night and Friday night and Tuesday morning and Wednesday afternoon. Right? This idea of, of putting on the breastplate of righteousness, knowing your position, but also working to live life in the way that God made you to live life in pursuit of His holiness. I, I, I'm not talking about a legalism this morning because I, I realize we all make mistakes. But I'm not talking about a mistake. I, I'm talking about living a life of regular sin, engaging in it over and over and over again. You're not putting on the breastplate of righteousness. 
And the last one that we're going to look at this morning is verse 15. But let me read the three together and then we'll... Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Are you ready to go wherever God sends you? Romans 10, 15 says this, And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Isaiah 5, uh, 52, 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Are you ready to carry God's truth to wherever he sends you? You know, I, it's interesting. I, I've heard people say this before. Man, Tony, if, if God called me to be a missionary, um, you know, I definitely pray about it, but, but I, I would do that. That's, and that's great. That, that, that is wonderful. But, but the question that, that we need to ask ourselves before even asking that is, are we being faithful to carry the message of the gospel, of, of God's great love and peace to your sphere of people today? What about the person that you sit next to on the train? or in an airplane, or in a doctor's office? Are you willing to share Jesus with those people? Are we taking advantage of the opportunities that God has given you today? You know, I, I've, uh, I've led multiple mission trips, and um, there, there's one part of a mission trip that, that always makes some people uncomfortable. There's lots of parts, but one in particular, and it's the sharing of testimonies. Uh, if you don't know what a testimony is, that's kind of Christianese for uh, sharing your faith story, right? Your faith story. And I remember on the last mission trip that we were getting ready to go on, um, I, I had said, okay, so this was our team. You need to get ready and have your testimonies ready. And the one teenage girl, she said to me, well, well how long does it have to be? I said, three, three to five minutes. Three minutes. She said, three minutes! How am I ever supposed to fill three minutes? Because, see, I was, I was raised in a Christian home. And, and that's, that's my story. <laughs> I came to know Jesus when I was eight. I come to church. I come to youth group. And what I shared with her, and, and, I, and I love how the, the NIV states this, and it says, in this verse 15, it says, and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. This idea of, of being fitted, it's, it's your personal story. See, see, we should be able to tell way more than five minutes of what God has done in our life and is doing, whether you've been a believer since the age five or not, whether you came from an a addiction background or you did not, you should still be able to say, man, look at what God's done in my life. Here, here's what I was doing, and here's where I am now. Here's a family situation that was really hard for us, but the Lord really just worked in my heart. Here's something that I've personally been struggling with. Maybe it's not a sin issue, but it's something else, and God's peace has just been overwhelming. We carry our story to the world. 
Because that one person that you share with, you never know how that's going to go to others. I've, I've shared about my grandfather before who worked, and he, and there, uh, worked in Canada, and there was this man who shared the gospel with him every single day. Now you probably get reported to HR. But he shared with him every single day. I believe it was for two years until my grandfather said, I get it. He went to become a missionary and discipled a multitude of people, all because this one man was willing to continue to carry the message of the gospel of peace day after day after day. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Are you ready to give a reason this morning for the hope that's alive in you? Because whether we recognize it or not, if you are a believer, you are a living testimony of the living God. And people will want to know what's going on in your life. You believe in this God? Tell me why I should. Why do you have hope after life? You never know who you're going to impact. When I was in high school, we, uh, we took a missions trip out to this jungle village called Oromomo. Right? And we flew out and we actually worked on clearing the airstrip um, I don't know if I was in 8th or ninth grade, but we had machetes and we're out there cutting stuff. It was like the coolest thing for an 8th or ninth grade boy, right, to be out in the jungle and you're like chopping down trees and, and just having an awesome, awesome time. But we also spent a lot of time in, uh, in the church and in doing different programs with kids and stuff like that. And, and a couple of years ago on one of our missions trips, um, I, I believe it was at Word of Life, uh, a, a kid came up to me and he said, Tony, um, do you remember that missions trip that you, you took back when you guys were, you know, you were in high school? And uh, I said, yeah, I said, that's the trip I gave my life to the Lord at. And uh, I, I, I remember this much about the trip. I remember chopping stuff down. I remember sitting in the school and, and as a group of people, I wasn't the only one on the trip, as a group of people saying different things and doing different things, yet this, this sharing of the gospel affected this person who gave his life to Jesus Christ and then became a missionary to his own people. You never know what's going to happen when you're faithful to doing what God has for you. So we looked at three this morning. We looked at the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the feet ready to share the gospel of peace. The next three pieces of the armor are not a secret. <laughs> They're in this Bible, in this word that God's given you. Read them this week. Pray over them this week. And ask God to help you put on the armor of God every single day.